Hey, welcome to Lab the Podcast. We share time with people whose lives and work give us a glimpse of the life and beauty of the gospel. I hope these conversations inspire, encourage, and maybe even challenge you to discover the unexpected life and beauty surrounding you each day. Lab the Podcast starts right now. Hey, welcome to Lab the Podcast. I am the father of four, and I'm learning and trying to figure that out every day as I love and nurture three daughters and a son. And before I had kids, I heard over and over that when I had kids, it would change me. And not just over the long course of life, but in an instant that I would be different. And you know, you hear stuff like that, and it makes you smile. You say, well, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And it wasn't until I met my first child, Bella, that I realized how true those words were. I was, I was literally different. And in my experience, doesn't matter, boy or girl, uh, life changes. But today, I want to spend some time thinking about being a girl dad. And if you Google that urban dictionary definition and try to find girl dad, you'll find ideas of being a dad committed to the flourishing of your daughters, a dad who empowers and equips your daughters. And I'm thinking about Ryan O'Neill's song lyric that says it so perfectly, somehow that their ceiling would become our floor, or our ceiling would become their floor. Well, today joining me is filmmaker Brett Culp. Brett Culp inspires audiences to engage in a passionate, meaningful mission that leaves a positive impact on the world and ignites the heroic spirit. Brett is the award-winning documentary filmmaker and founder of the not-for-profit The Rising Heroes Project. He is known for films Legends of the Night and Look to the Sky, both of which explore the power of heroic stories and heroic individuals to inspire us to believe in a better tomorrow. His films are featured in Netflix, iTunes, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. Brett spent the last seven years looking at the powerful relationship fathers share with their daughters. In his new film, A Voice That Carries, released worldwide on Father's Day, and through heartwarming stories and insights from experts, empowers fathers to be a positive influence in the lives of their daughters. The film shares inspiring ideas about building relationships, body image, and emotional presence. I can't wait for this conversation selfishly because I have three girls and more than that, just to have this conversation and, and have a good discussion on what it means to be a girl dad. Brett, thanks for the film. Tons of hard work. Thank you for coming back and for a conversation on being girl dads. It's good to have you back. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's always a joy to spend some time with you and I'm glad everybody else can just sort of listen in on our conversation. It's so good. It's my favorite thing about this format is that we get to just kind of be a fly on the wall for good conversations. And this is one of them. You do so many things, though, that I wish we could be a fly on the wall. We were just talking about speaking. You speak all over the place and sought after. And this year has just been tough, tough, tough. But it's opening up. You're getting back out. What are you seeing as you travel a little bit and as you get out and see people in person again? Well, as we talk today, it's it's June and uh, kind of the end of June, and I last well, you know, the world is just slowly opening up. I mean, it, you know, in 2019, I did 60 in-person speeches all over the country at different events, and and they're all business events and uh, you know, secular you know associations and leaders groups and all kinds of stuff like that. And so, um, you know, but with 2020, of course, everything was shut down. Now we're getting this trickle back in. 
of events. So I, I'll do a couple of events this month, a couple next month, and then August is really when we get back at it again. That's when these events are being planned for. But I am already seeing the great depth. I, I'm, I'm seeing what was missing from our lives during that this time of all these shutdowns. You know, everybody wanted to talk about virtual things and that's pretty good. We can do that. And that's, you know, we can make it special and all that stuff. And I, I always, I think a lot of us kind of sat there and we wanted to be optimists. So we wanted to be positive about virtual cause that's all we could do. But now that we're getting back to more in person, I'm like, Oh my goodness, all the things, all the energy that was missed and lost is almost like I'm, I'm mourning again, mm. what was lost over those many months. I, I had a, when I was doing a pre-call um, with with a client um, regarding an event that's going on in February, in, uh, the fall of this year, she said to me, I hope you're taking care of yourself hmm. because very soon we're really going to need you. Hmm. And I, I know she was speaking to me, you know, she was kind of saying that to me specifically because she knows what my talents are and what I do and what my focus is. But I feel like she was sort of speaking to all of us, you know, any of us that are called to be difference makers in the world. As the world opens up, this is a moment where our hearts are needed, our hope is needed, our strength is needed, our confidence is needed. And and I hope right now we're all taking the time to take care of our bodies and nurture our bodies, to nurture our, our souls, our spirits our heart, our emotions, to really take care of ourselves so that when the world opens up, those that are not equipped to take care of themselves in that way, that don't really know how to nurture their own hearts and souls, they're going to need us more than ever. Yeah. We just we just said it. I mentioned that, that article I just saw today. 44% of people report that they were at their lowest emotional point ever in their life in the last year. And yeah. I think what you're saying, not just on a physical level, but emotionally saying, like, take a minute and just be honest about what the last year has been like, because it is weird. We were optimistic. Hey, we can do this. And you did crazy things. I saw some of the stuff you were doing, training people on different platforms and online, and you were doing it really, really well. It was beautifully done stuff. But there's something so different about being live. And you posted about this uh, the other day. You had an experience back live that really yeah. kind of kind of presses that home. Before we talk the movie, can, would you mind telling that story and just kind of, because I think it's so important when we think about stepping back into the world, just that we take a minute to think about what does that mean and what it can mean. Yeah. So I spoke at an event last week and it was in Palm Beach, Florida, and it was for bankers. It was the Florida Bankers Association. Now you hear me say that out loud and you're like, this sounds like a really boring event. Like <laughs> this is, you know, this is not a sales conference. This is not a, this is a bunch of bankers sitting in a room together. And first of all, that's part of the reason why it's so great to go because I'm like, Hey, let's bring some excitement. Let's bring some energy to this. Um, and, and which is wonderful. So after I given my speech and it's about a 60 minute keynote and, you know, it's full of uplifting stories and inspirational stories and talking about, you know, the challenges of the past 15 months and 
you know, how, where our hearts have been and opening up to new ideas and hope and all those things. And then afterwards I did a, a meet and greet line, um, out in the lobby. Uh, and there were several hundred people at this event and they had brought some of their spouses and kids and husbands and wives. And so it was kind of a, a bit of a, my particular session they brought all their family to. And after it was over, I, when I did this meet and greet out in the lobby, this husband and wife came over to me and the wife said, I, I just want to tell you how much that speech meant to me. I'm, I'm diagnosed with cancer. I'm in stage four mm. right now. You know, the, a lot of doctors are saying the prognosis is not good, you know, but I am trying to live with faith mm. that there's good ahead. And we talked for a few minutes and I said, I, you know, I, would you mind telling me your name? I'd like to pray for you. And she said her name was Susan. And then I just kind of, you know, we'd only been talking for 30 seconds because that's all the time we had really in one of those kind of meet and greet lines. But I just said, you know, would you like to pray right now? Hmm. Like, could we just pray right now? And she immediately turned around to everyone else standing in the meet and greet line and said, we're going to pray together. Come join us if you want to. Mm. And dozens of people standing in this meet and greet line at an event for bankers gathered all together. And I prayed for Susan and I prayed for all of us. Mm. I prayed for the world. I prayed I prayed for everything <laughs> in, in 60 seconds that I could pull into it. And when I said amen and I opened my eyes, we were all crying. Mm. And everyone just hugged each other and it was beautiful. And I have never – I've had a lot of moments where I'm able to bring my faith and my hope into those kinds of settings one-on-one -on -one with people. And to be personal with them, but I've never in many years of speaking at these kind of events had a moment like that where a, where a person instinctively hmm. turned to everyone else and say, I don't just need this prayer. Everyone, I bet everyone standing here needs this. Hmm. And then when that invitation was extended, it wasn't like one or two people that came over. It was everyone that came over. Hmm. And it made me realize, like, I felt like it was God saying to me, this has been hard. It's been difficult to not be face to face with people, but, but we are so hungry. We are so ready. We are so open. This is a moment, like, I felt like God was saying to me personally, you were made for this moment. Mm. You were made for such a time as this to step out and to not be afraid of your faith, but to share it in, in a way that, that fits the circumstance, but that's real and authentic and honest to where you are. And the world needs it and they want it. And that kind of leadership is welcome right now in a way that it wasn't welcome 16 months ago. Hmm. And so I, I know that's a bit of a long story, but I, I'm moving forward now with such a sense of hope that that there's even more good work that I could do that if the last 16 months hadn't happened, that door wouldn't have been open. Yeah. I love that you said that that door wouldn't have opened, that idea of a door of hope in the middle of what seems to be wilderness and what seems to be just, in, you know, a, a situation that completely has a ceiling. 
and something just opens up. And without a recognition of such a long stretch of feeling the compression of that other season, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be, this moment wouldn't be as pregnant as it is. And that's a, that's a good invitation too, because it was in a, in a meet and greet line. This was, this yeah. was one invitation. Can I pray for you? What's your name? And I, yes. I love that. That that that's part of what makes your work so beautiful, not just on the stage and in the documentary filmmaking, but just kind of pointing out what is, what's in front of us, showing it to us with new eyes. And so somebody listening, just take that away for what it is. Whatever your line is, whatever your thirty seconds is, whatever your can I pray for you is. Uh, don't underestimate what you might have to offer in that moment, especially as we come out. I mean, thinking about the, all those people in one moment, everybody shows up. She has stage four cancer. This woman does. But how many other stories were right behind them? If you would have had hours to hear like, hey, the last year, fill in the blank. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Ugh. Yep. It's good, man. It's why we love you in the world. If you need somebody to do your keynote, find him, Brett Culp. He can he can do it. It's a uh, uh, you just have a gift for that space, and you also have a gift for making movies. So I'm going to shift gears. Can we do that? Absolutely. Yeah, we have not talked since the premiere, and that night was awesome. We were under the lights, and the the film title was up on the marquee board. My girls rolled up and was date night times three with the three of us and or the four of us and it was so fun and it was such a cool night and they loved it of course because they got to go uh, to a movie premiere but we left and I wish you could have been a fly on the wall at that conversation in the in the van as we drove away what they were saying the film I was I didn't know if it would speak to them or if it would more be directed towards me and they left and their eyes were wide open to a new way of seeing our relationship. It was awesome. So the night was fun. Is that kind of environment fun for you? Or is that just like a blur feels like work? How does it, what does a night like that even feel like for you? Yeah. So, and to be clear, what you're talking about is this in-person world premiere that we did here in Tampa, Florida at Tampa theater. And I was grateful that you and your girls could be there. And we had several, I didn't know, post COVID, whether people were going to show up or not for this event, but they sure did. And, uh, you know, we had hundreds of people there that night, uh, and sold a lot more tickets at the door even than I expected to. Uh, so it was, it was a great joy. And I think for me, it's always interesting because when you go into a, a film project and this is my third feature length documentary film, but when you go in at the beginning you're full of like optimism and dreams and vision about what it's going to feel like and what the film is going to be like. But the reality is, is that the last six months of finishing (laughs) a project like that, they're brutal. Mm. They're brutal because what you're doing is you're showing it to focus groups. You're then asking them to tell you what's bad about this. Like you want them to tell you what's good too, but really what you care about is what's broken, what's not working, what, what is too slow, what is too long, what is unclear. And so then you're making tweaks and adjustments. And it really is funny. You may have found this when you were writing your book as well is that when we do these focus groups, sometimes it's the smallest tweak. In the first five minutes of the film 
that just sort of realigns the trajectory of the thing. Mm -hmm. And then it changes the whole experience. So like the difference between our first focus group and our second focus group was enormous. The difference was amazing, but still you're, you're essentially living in the troubleshooting problem fixing well, this isn't working, but we don't have the footage to fix it. Should we cut it? Should mm. we keep it? Is it any good? And and by the time we finished this film, A Voice That Carries, it, it, this is a much more educational film than anything I've done before. There's a lot of you know experts with insights. My previous films are much more just kind of high level inspiration. This is this is meant to be educational and entertaining. But when you're trying to do that, you're like, is this any, is this funny? Mm. Like, are these jokes landing? Mm. Are, are, is it emotional? Are, are people going to cry when you want them to? Mm. Or is this entertainment, is this educational part getting in the way? So I think the trick for me is always until you show it to an audience for the first time where you're truly saying, I don't want you to critique it. I don't mm. want you to give me any feedback. Just enjoy it. Mm. Just lay back and enjoy the show and see what it means to you over the next 70 minutes. Mm. And that premiere is the first time that happened. And so for me, it was extremely affirming because it worked. Like, it worked. I, I didn't know if it worked. But just sitting there listening to the crowd respond from the – they laughed at all the right places. I could hear them sniffling at the right places. I could hear – and so but, – but to really answer your question, there's an insecurity of knowing whether that's going to happen or not. Like oh. is that what's going to happen yeah. or is the room going to be silent for 70 minutes and you're going to get on stage afterwards and be like, well, <laughs> you know, Thanks I'm not real sure what happened. Thanks for being here, though. Now I'm going to spend the next year of my life promoting this to people, not knowing if it's any good. And so for me, though, getting to the end and it working so well made me even more excited. I mean, you know, Chris and Melody Farrell, who partnered with us on this and were co-producers on it and. Uh, Melody is pastor at our church and uh, Chris, I've been working with for a long time creatively. You know, I said to them the next day, we had a debrief call the next day. And I said, well, I was mentally, emotionally kind of a little bit unambitious with this. Like, okay, we'll finish it. We'll show it to some people. It'll be fine. But now I'm really kind of raring to get it into a lot of hands, get it on some platforms, do some things with it that I wasn't before. It gave me new energy. That's so cool to hear. I wondered, because you, I mean, for anybody who hasn't been there, a lot of people listening to this have no idea what the Tampa Theater means, but historic theater, beautiful, old, old, old historic theater, and it's it has balcony seating and really plush, ornate decor inside. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful theater. And here Brett is on stage announcing like, hey, welcome, here's what we're going to do tonight, and uh, you come out there. And I wondered, when you turned and walked off the stage after introducing the film i wondered like is that are you nervous and you you described it perfectly that you don't know if it's going to work i mean focus groups mm -hmm. have seen it people have seen it you've seen it you have hopes but man what a moment to have hundreds of people sitting in that theater waiting and i bet that the moment that you hear that first laugh in the right place there's a little bit of relief <laughs> oh absolutely yeah. absolutely there is yeah. there's nothing quite like that feeling. 
Yeah. Well, you, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, but you're a superhero guy. Uh, you make mm-hmm. films, you tell stories, you travel around the country and the world trying to awaken that hero within people. That's, that's part of your story. And then you take this turn and you give a ton of time and attention, seven years to this project in its total. And you, you give this attention to being a girl dad. What, what, why did you dive into that? What was it that, that kind of took you from that heroic spirit and inspiring work you do and, and called you to give up seven years in this other conversation? Yeah. So when I was on tour with uh, my first documentary film, Legends of the Night, we screened that film in over 110 cities all over the world and raised uh, over over $100,000 for charity in the process, which was amazing. And when I I, I went to about 30 cities myself on that tour. And when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, this group of women came up to me at the end of that screening and said, we love this film. We love what you're doing with it, like how you're using it as sort of a tool. Because for me, all of my films, there's got to be some sort of initiative that goes with it. I don't just want you to watch my film and then be like, okay, let's watch the next season of The Walking Dead next. (laughs) Like I want you to watch it and then be invited, be challenged to do something else, to take some ownership. And, and, and so, you know, they just said, we love your vision about that. We love how you're doing that. We have been talking about an idea about doing a film about the connection between fathers and daughters, Hmm. because we are all therapists. We work together in a therapy practice and we have seen that so often when we're treating or going through therapy with a young woman, a teenager or younger, um, a young girl that so often these dads are just kind of, they don't know what to do. Mm. They have a heart to help. They want to, they want to be part of the process, but they don't, our society, our world has not given them the tools, Mm. has not really shown them how to be a dad that can help a young woman through an eating disorder, through a pregnancy, through uh, addiction, through uh, you know difficult circumstance, through a divorce of her parents, through whatever, mm. and they just kind of said, "Would you be interested in directing and working with us on this film?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about it." And over the course of many months, I thought about it, and and I finally ultimately said, and and this group is at a, a place called Southeast Psych, which is in. Charlotte, North Carolina. They're one of the largest psychology practices in the state of North Carolina. And I, I finally said, okay, if you guys will handle sort of the business side of this and the fundraising and, you know, really the executive producer role, Mm -hmm. then I will make the film. And, but I got to finish my next film first. So, I mean, this was before I had even started film number two, I had been committed to them that I was going to make this as film number three. Wow. Well then film number two took a year and a half longer than I thought it was going to (laughs) for a variety of reasons. And which you can listen to the last conversation you and I had together to, to know what that story is. And, and so it took me several years 
to really be able to take this project on. And then we had some stops and starts with this project for similar reasons, because all these projects that are on this scale, but that you're doing for a shoestring budget take time. And, and so that's a long way of saying this project wasn't my idea. I took it because I sort of sat with it for a while and it felt like the right thing to do. But what was so interesting about it and the reason why I'm so glad I did it is because on the surface, this is a film about the connection between fathers and daughters. That's what a voice that carries is about. It's about the the relationship between fathers and daughters and how fathers can can work to equip their daughters to do great things in life. But while I'm in the middle of this project is when the Me Too movement started, mm. where essentially women all over the world are standing up and saying, we in our vulnerable moments of our life were taken advantage of and treated poorly by men of power and influence. And we are against that. And we are with one voice standing against it. Mm. And I realized that at a deeper level, I wasn't making a movie that was just about fathers and daughters. This was a movie about how any man who has influence and power in the world of any kind, the mindset and the process he needs to go through with every young woman Mm. that he has influence with, Mm. that these principles hold true across all of it. And, and if you can learn how to be a great – like th- that ability for us as men to stand up and be the kind of leaders in the world to empower women, to really allow their gifts and their beauty, their true beauty to shine in the world, it, there's no difference between – in my judgment after going through this process, between what it takes to be a great father and what it takes to be a great mentor – the the tricks and tips and tactics and strategies are the same. And that's when I realized that this project ultimately was much bigger. And that's why also, as we've started showing it to people, and we just had this big virtual premiere on Father's Day, I'm getting messages from dads that are saying, thank you for this film. But I'm getting just as many messages, if not more messages, from women who are saying, thank you for this film. In 70 minutes, you just said what I knew in my heart, but I didn't know how to say, Mm. and that I have been up against my entire life. I want to show this to every man I know. Mm. And that's not, uh, it's it's not because it's a harsh film or it's a preachy film. It's not, but it, it speaks to what the heart of that relationship of fathers and daughters really is, which just transcends that relationship into so many other parts of our life. It's, it's interesting too, that I'm so glad that you had the group from Southeast psych as a partner in this and in the conversation, because right now there is so, I mean, you highlighted it, the me too movement, bringing out into light, all these things that have been carried by so many women for so long. And there's finally enough, you know, just a space, just enough of a safe enough space that people can start saying some of these things out loud. So you have that kind of watershed conversation that starts breaking out. And at the same time, we have a culture that really is trying to figure out, is there something unique about that role of a dad? 
is that a thing? Do we want to say that's a thing? Is it not a thing? Are we going to have that conversation? I mean, that's a complicated thing right now. And I feel uh-huh. like that's another reason why what you did here is so beautiful because it honors that. It says, you know what? There is something that's unique about this particular voice. Not that it diminishes any other voice, but there is something about this voice that does carry. It does shape in a particular way. And that's that's kind of an interesting place for you to step in in our cultural moment. If yeah. you if you had to say what you learned about what that is, you know that thing of a of a dad's influence or that mentor influence from the male perspective in the life of a young woman in the life of a daughter, why why is that one so special? What is it that's unique about that? Were you able to have some language, or did the Southeast Psych folks help you kind of key in on something that was like, you know what? I think yeah. One of the first things they said to me was that the newest research has shown that a young woman's identity is shaped more by the father figures in her life than by the mother figures. Mm. And that shocked me. Mm -hmm. I I had always sort of been under the implicit sense that, oh, well, women become their mothers, right? You know, like a woman sort of inherits her identity from her mom and she kind of becomes her mom. I've heard that. And I've kind of on some level seen that anecdotally in my life, but those issues about body image, about confidence, about relationship sensibilities and what they will accept and what they will reject because of their sense of confidence and identity, the the kinds of junk that they'll deal with in relationships that some women will say, I'm out. This is the end of this. Mm -hmm. That some women women will sit there in for their entire life because they don't think they're worthy of anything more than that. Where did they get that? Mm -hmm. They got it from their dad. Mm -hmm. They got it from the way that not only their dad treated them when they were young, But the way they saw their dad treat other women, whether it's mom or just a woman they saw at the mall Mm. and the reaction that dad had about that or what he said about other women or when they were watching the news and there was a a female politician on. What was his reaction to that? Mm. Did he did he say something sexist about that or did he affirm that? How did he talk about his coworkers that were female and. Was that part of his world? And and what did you see him do at church? Uh, did he treat men and women with equal respect or did he treat them differently? All of those things are sending signals and messages that w- young women internalize and they don't just become their identity like in terms of behavior, like how they act according to certain ethics or morals or principles or roles. It goes deeper down into like the emotional, spiritual foundation of who they believe themselves to be and what their worth in the world is. Mm-hmm. And when you start to realize, as as this team at Southeast Psych helped me, to see how deep that goes and how uh, unaware most of us as men and dads are about how we're doing that. We're strategic about a lot of things in life. 
often we are very unstrategic about this. We are walking through this unaware, unconsciously, just sort of acting the way our dads acted, acting the way we see people in movies act, acting whatever, mm. however we are, without making that intention of seeing that. And that was really the goal of this film was to take things that many of us as men are doing unconsciously and to force a conscious behavior and intention instead. So, so powerful too, as we culturally try to find our way forward into, again, just not repeating, you know, like rinse and repeat what the, what we did before and we didn't like the result, but that's the way it is. And I know for so many dads, you hear the same common thread, like, well, I don't know. It's, you know, it's the girls. I don't understand them. It's a space. I don't, you know, there's like a distance from it and an unwillingness to engage with the intention that you're describing. And we keep, we get the same result, you know, when we, when we don't change our paradigm, when we don't change the thinking, which is you're inviting us into that conversation. What attribute stood out the most? I mean, you were watching these guys interact with their daughters. You were setting them up for these intentional experiences. As you left in your journal, you know, and you're kind of walking away from this film, was there something that you could put on the whiteboard and say like, there's a word that if I had to put it down and there's a dad listening tonight that, you know, there's a, there's a lot to the conversation. There's a lot to think about and to, to kind of grow in, but if you could, is it intention? What would you put in that bubble there and just say, you know what, walking away from this, if dads could fill in the blank, what would you put in that bubble? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy for me to answer that. And the word is presence. Mm. It's presence. And what I mean by that is, you know, of course, obviously it's physical presence. It's yeah. being there, you know, being in the room. But I think deeper than that, what your daughter needs from you is emotional presence, mental presence, being there, mm-hmm. being present. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to give a pep talk. You don't have to understand what she's talking about. <laughs> what she's talking about doesn't have to make sense to you. Her priorities don't have to make sense to you. You may, every word out of her mouth, want to just say, settle down, calm down. Mm. I don't understand why you're so upset. Your reaction may be to do that, which is all fix-it stuff, right? It's all, I want to change this scenario. I want to make it different than what it is. And, you know, so much even when I think about my spiritual life and what God calls me to, so often what I feel like the spirit is calling me to is just be in what is. Mm. Stop fighting reality. Mm. Stop bickering with the circumstances of your life and feeling like you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be satisfied. It's never going to be enough until circumstances are like this. Essentially, that same discipline is what's required to be a great dad, particularly of a daughter. That ability to say, I accept you. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, you could say it with your voice. I, I, I think you should. But, but even just in your own mind, in your own heart to say, I accept you exactly the way you are. Mm. I accept this circumstance with you exactly the way it is. And my goal, and I think this is particularly true in the preteen and teenage years, my goal is to be here now with you, mm. not somewhere else mentally, emotionally, 
but we're going to sit at this table. We're going to go for this walk. We're going to drive in this car and I'm emotionally going to be here. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm not going to try to figure you out. I'm not going to try to change you. I'm just here to be with you. Mm. I feel like that shift in perspective is the core of relationship building with a young woman because it honors her own identity. And rather than making her feel that she has to do something or be something to live up to your approval, you are by your very emotional, mental posture saying, I accept you right now just the way you are. I love you and I am here to be present with you. That is what I care about. That is what's important to me. I'm here Mm. and I love you. And that, but like, as, as someone listening may hear me say that, they're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what you're saying. And that's okay. I made a documentary film. With yeah, that. Going, you can it's watch called it. A voice that's, that carries, yeah. It's called a voice that carries. And that's really ultimately when you get down to it, you know, we gave essentially what we did in this film is we took five dads and daughters and we gave them these challenges, these three challenges that they went on. And there are very specific challenges that we said, we want you to design a challenge like this together. You have to do it together and and a challenge like this, and then go through it. And they're about having new experiences together, being in each other's world more, saying things to each other that you've never said before. And then we took that challenge that we invited those dads on in, in the film and we put it on our website so that anyone could take it. Hmm. And that's hopefully the point of the film is for people to watch the film and then go out on their own father-daughter challenge and do those things uh, like they saw. And but but again, at the end of it, all of those challenges, all those things, when they worked, came down to presence. I think that's what I loved so much about that invitation in those challenges was I was sitting there thinking, well, I do this stuff. You know, we set up girl, you know, dad-daughter dates and we go on things. But there was a subtle little distinction that you made in the film that's so important. And you're making it again right here. It's to enter their world and to not come Mm -hmm. from a directive standpoint or to, you know, show up with all the answers or the plan and have the whole day spelled out. Really, the power is to enter their world and be present where they are. And there's something really kind of difficult. Like you said, we don't even really know how to do that. And there was one, I won't give the whole film away, but there was one dad sitting at a tea party and you, yeah. could, you could see just how uncomfortable it was to enter that <laughs> space. And, you know, guys, if you're listening, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. When you're sitting in the small chair with the small cup and the small, you know, you're trying yes. so hard. It takes effort. But man, oh, man, what my kids said when we drove away is they were so excited to come up with their own things that we could go do together where I would join them and be present yeah. with them. And that, so you're, you're on to it. I think presence is a beautiful word and good grief. I mean, it's a fight like Twitter and Facebook and social and, you know, like just constantly from even the day-to-day tasks up to the things attached to our wrists now are just pulling us out of the present. That's a battle. You mentioned adolescence 
did that team at Southeast Psych talk about the different formative stages? And is there is there another one that stood out to you that was like that they said, "Hey, dads should pay attention to this because at this stage of life, there's some powerful formation taking place." Is it adolescence? Is there an is there one before that that stood out, or is it just, "Hey, be present every moment that you're able to be present." You know, I I do think that it's that phase. And whether, you know, I think it's different for each, you know, young woman, but there is that the, 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 it's the transition stage where you instinctively as a dad know she's going from being a little kid that I can just throw around in the pool and yeah, she's a girl, but we can sort of play like it's a boy, like she's a boy, you know, in terms of we can wrestle and we can hug and we can cuddle on the couch and we can, you know, do whatever. Mm-hmm. But then this transition happens at some point where, where she starts to become more, as an expert in the film said, more womanly, mm. less girly and more womanly. And I think it is that moment based on what we saw, what I saw in the research and in the interviews and then the filmmaking process. It's that moment of transition where I think instinctively a lot of dads tend to lean back. Mm. They lean back and they say, I'll let mom handle this. Mm. I don't know anything about menstrual cycles. I'll lean back. Mm -hmm. I don't really know anything about how it feels to go on a first date with a guy. (laughs) I've never done that before. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, or whatever. I'll lean back. I don't understand fashion and dresses and shoes and, you know, all these things that start to become the things. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I will lean back. But what the research shows is that that is the exact moment when your daughter needs you to lean forward the most. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's the moment. When she's going through all of this insecurity, when she's going through all these transitions and unknowns, when she is trying to find herself in a world that is stepping up every moment on social media, on YouTube, everywhere else to tell her lies about who she should be and about who we want her to be. That is the moment of insecurity where your daughter needs you to step up and speak the truth Mm. to, to honor her, to affirm her, to emotionally be with her, to walk through that with her. And, and so that there is one person in the world, one place in the world that she knows she can be herself and be loved. Mm. She can be who she is and be cared for and it'll be okay. And that moment I think gives a young woman the foundation they need for the rest of their lives to feel that they can allow those voices of truth to define their identity rather than those lies of people that are trying to manipulate them for their, for their own purposes. And, and so based on my experience, it's it's that moment of transition that is the most important, but also the most uncomfortable. Mm. 
Well, it's the most uncomfortable. And then as you and I know, you know, midlife comes and, you know, you, you'll hit that stage of life at different moments, but precisely at the time where work is the most, you know, you're, you're stretched in the vocational life, pressures mm-hmm. and demands are increasing, costs are going up, time is being spread, you're tired I mean, let's just be honest, like it's, this isn't, you know, in year one or two or three and you've got to be present at all of these different stages. But what you're saying is now we're talking 13, 12, 14 years into this journey, you, what, what can dads do? What advice do you have to refresh at that moment? I mean, even just from your own life that would say, okay, if that's yeah. the moment and that's when I have to show up and that's when she's being, this formative thing is taking place and dads are like hands on their legs going, oh my gosh, I'm just trying yes. to get through my day and now I'm hearing you and I hear that it's this moment that my voice is going to carry and I want to show up, but I am tapped out. What do you, how do we, <laughs> help, 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 help. What do you say to all of us who are like, that's precisely the moment I'm leaning out because I'm exhausted. That's a great question. And, and I, I think that is, that's one of the reasons why we designed this project the way we did, because it is that age where also your daughter is coming to a place where she has her own thoughts and she has her own opinions and you can give her some leadership Mm. of, of the process. You just have to create the conversation. You just have to let her know that you want the conversation. And um, so, you know, there's this, there's this challenge also at this, this age where it's difficult for all of us as parents, moms and dads too, to shift from parenting as sort of a dictatorship <laughs> to parenting as a mentorship. Mm. And it's different for every young person and every temperament about when you can do that and how you do it. There's not universal rules on that, of course. But at some point, you've got to make that shift. And so when we designed this concept of of giving these dads these challenges and these daughters, our intention was for the dad and daughter to sit there together Mm. and come up with this. I love it. And, And for them to collaborate on it. For it to be a moment where you sit down and say, okay, for, for this challenge, number one, let's do something together that we've never done before. Mm. And, and to look at your daughter and say, what do you want to do with me mm. that we've never done together before? Mm. And every single one of these dads that we filmed for this documentary was shocked by the answer to that question. Was shocked. Yep. Like Mark, Mark in the film, his daughter said, we want to do art with you. We just want to sit at the kitchen table and draw together. Mm. And he's like, what? Like, what is that? Why? Why do you want to do this? And he said, you know, so often I try to persuade them to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. This is what they want to do. I'm going to do it. And I mean, of course, there are financial constraints. Your daughter might say, sure. I want to go to Hawaii. You one know, of, okay. One of them did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. And I, you know, we all get that. We have to manage that. But, but I think that moment where, where you're essentially – you are in charge of creating the conversation and taking that leadership. Mm. But at that age we're talking about here, 12, 13, 14, 15, to look at her and say, you lead the way. Mm. You come up with the ideas. You make the plan. You do the Google search, and I will be present with you in it. 
Mm. I let me take the back seat. You drive the car, you know, and and that is also affirming because you're saying I affirm the validity and the quality of your ideas, of your thoughts, of your wants and desires of the things that matter to you. They matter to me. I'll show up. And and so I think to answer your question, you don't have to own this whole process. You can you can lean forward into the conversation while also leaning back on some of the leadership and direction. Mm. Brett, that is pure gold, literally like pure gold. And I'm listening. I hope everybody's listening. You might be driving home. You might be listening to this on a run or, you know, early in the morning the the power and I, I experienced it myself coming out of the premiere is that it's the, it's not all on you it is on you to show up and to initiate and to create that space but let that pressure kind of shift and be shared that's part of the magic that's so i mean I, I watched it with my kids and all i can tell you if you're listening and you're exhausted is brett's right when you show up, if you go downstairs right after listening to this and you sit down with your daughter and say, hey, I've just been thinking about doing something that we've maybe never done before, you know, what would be, what would you want to go do if we had just a little bit of time where we could share? And that's all you have to do. Initiate. Start. And that you guys have a website. You have this whole plan. There's ways that you're even helping us do this. How can people get these prompts and find their way to the, the resource that you've provided for them? Yeah, we've in fact just – I was doing a lot of this stuff on my own website, which is brettkulp.com. But yesterday, as we launched this into the world, we just launched a brand new website, which is risinghero.org. So it's risinghero.org. And on on that website, you can see the trailer for the film. You can see a little more information about it. You can also see this father-daughter challenge we've laid out. That's all sitting right there. And we did this premiere on Father's Day weekend. We're now figuring out what our next rollout of the film looks like. But I also want to say to people, you know, if you're in a in a role where you need this film, whether it's for you personally or maybe you want to show it to some, you know, your organization or your group as part of something you're part of, just email us and let us know. You know, we're working on distribution things you know, these big digital platforms and they don't want us to have it out in the world when, when we're in that state. But if you're listening to this and you go to the website and you're like, I've got to see this whole film, just send us an email and we'll send you a link. Uh, I, we, we want people to see it. I love that. Well, and I love the invitation that you made, even at the premiere to think outside of the box. Uh, you know, you may watch this, you may hear this conversation and go, I've got 10 guys, 20 guys, 30 guys, maybe at my work or my church or guys that I play, you know, on a basketball league with. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be a catalyst to have this conversation. I think just think outside of the box guys and, and men, women, doesn't matter who's listening, just help us think outside of the box because this is beyond just Kind of that, well, hey, if I've got a daughter who's five and how do I, you know, Im- create the best dad-daughter dates, that's not what this is. This is an invitation mm-hmm. to to change the way that young women f- just understand their identity and empower them and set them up to be a presence in the world that's going to be generative for generations to come. That's the beautiful work that Brett has done with this film. So is it risingheroes.org? 
Rising Hero. Rising Hero. Risinghero.org. Okay. Go to risinghero.org. Look it up. Look at the challenges. Get, kind of get familiar with the site. As, as Brett said, reach out in an email uh, if you want to. But I would ask, just spread the word. Just go find Brett on social media. Begin to follow the story. Find a voice that carries those threads. I don't know if there's hashtags happening or whatever. Just just follow <laughs> that stuff. You know more about it than I do. Uh, go spread the word because this is a beautiful conversation. Before we get out of here, tell us about the, the, the title for the film what was it that made you settle on a voice that carries you know i i we were thinking about that message that idea of how do we express the impact of a father particularly the things he says and his presence in his daughter's lives and it just occurred to me i was thinking about that you know that idea that we talk about people speaking voice that some people, when they talk, it's hard to hear them. Mm. But some people, when they speak, man, the whole room hears it. Their mm. voice just carries mm. throughout the room. And it made me realize that in this relationship between fathers and daughters, every father in the world, their voice carries. Every mm. single one in the life of their daughter. Every single one. There's not a one who, whether by their presence or their absence, is not speaking loudly to their daughter about their their who they are and their value and their worth and their importance in the world. And so we wanted every dad to understand whether they were being intentional or unintentional, whether they were present or not present, one way or the other, their voice carries. Mm-hmm. So choose carefully what you say with your voice. Because you have more power and influence and leadership in the life of your daughter than you even realize. It matters. Brett, that's the stuff. I'll tell you, literally from the premiere, I've walked around and your voice has been in my head, a voice that carries just a reminder that every time I engage my kids, every time I speak, even when I think it's insignificant, my voice is a voice that carries. And so I have you to thank for planting that seed. It echoes in my brain. That's the stuff, a voice that carries such a phenomenal project and just a powerful invitation, risinghero.org, right? That's the, the That's website, it. risinghero.org. That's it. Brett, thank you so much. Your life spills beauty all over the world. I mean, every part of your work and your filmmaking and you're a great friend and ally to all of us who are raising girls, all of us who are cheering on and championing a world where where women are empowered and lifted up and where their voices can begin to carry to a greater degree. So thank you so much for what you're doing, for who you are. Just super grateful. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for the conversation. We're so grateful to share this time with you. Even more than that, we're grateful you are helping to make visible the life and beauty of the gospel. And it's happening all over the world through you. So don't grow weary. Keep it up. And until our next conversation, make sure you like, subscribe, follow the podcast, follow us on Instagram, check out VUVIVO.com, and we'll see you back here for Lab the Podcast next time.